Thanks to this week's sponsor, Sync Fusion. Listen, Sync Fusion has been with us and with you for every single year ever in life and for the entirety of this podcast because they are absolutely awesome because they help you build absolutely fantastic applications with the ultimate component suites for anything, web, desktop, mobile, it doesn't matter what you're building, Blazor, Flutter, ASP.NET, JavaScript, Angular, React, Vue, jQuery, .NET MAUI, UWP, JavaScript, WinForms, WPF, WinUI, all the things, they got everything for you. Now, you can go to syncfusion.com slash mergeconflict and learn about all of their awesome developer platform tools and component libraries. I use them myself in my apps, but they also have some free products that I want to tell you about too, such as the easy-to-use essential UI kit for Xamarin. These are XAML templates for Xamarin Forms applications. Have you ever been like, man, I really want an application that looks and feels like this? Totally, they have it. You basically do file new, give me a shopping application. File new, give me a photo application. File new, give me a login screen. And it just writes all of the code for you automatically, 100% for free. Go to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict to learn more. And thanks Syncfusion for sponsoring this week's pod. Oof, I made it, Frank. I made it through that one. I did it. And and that was different. You've been doing Syncfusion ads for quite a while. And that, that one had me on the edge of my seat. I was curious what was happening there. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Verge Conflict. <laughs> All right, Frank. It's the 20th anniversary of .NET. We made it. Actually, we released a podcast on the anniversary of .NET, the 20th, not about the .NET 20th anniversary. You know, we did that. Uh, did we released that that was smart of us. Uh, did we plan that? Did we plan anything? Well, I mean, technically it was the 13th, but then we celebrated uh, it on the 14th. But then mm. we decided to talk about .NET Trace, which is a tool in the diagnostic <laughs> framework. But that's kind of .NET-y. It's .NET related. It's been with us for a while. I thought it was a great episode. Um, but yeah, there was a whole celebration. My background on my computer is stunning. The .NET website looks super good. Um, I learned so much about the amazing, you know, customers and internal teams at Microsoft using .NET and also Alex Dunn building this like super cool accessibility oh. game library for um uh for people that are playing like Minecraft and shooters where you can like speak to the to the machine and it like does it for you like in Minecraft like build stuff. I mean, I don't know, it was a really pretty cool event with some really inspirational stuff. Yeah, I just I, I have to chime in and just say shout out to Alex because uh, I've been seeing him do some of that work before on other video games, doing some kind of voice control or something. So he's best, definitely an expert in the area. He's been working through all the ridiculous bugs of actually making, you know, it's so easy to make a tech demo of something that like that work, but to make something that's actually useful and that's actually usable day to day, I know it's quite difficult. So shout out to him for those. Uh, cool pro cool project bro <laughs> yeah so i think that was pretty neat and frank guess what just happened this week uh-oh i'm nervous that could mean anything dude we're still not out of 2020 yet you know time still doesn't exist you can't open a sentence like that any anything could follow it's dangerous james well dotnet 6 as we all know launched three months ago so it's time for dotnet 7 oh of course ding ding ding, ding. <laughs> oh very good uh, really huh what when <laughs> okay rewind <laughs> when did dotnet 6 launch I, I forget because it was in beta for a while so i i didn't actually november-ish i guess was dotnet 6 
Frank, there's a new version of .NET that is released every single November at .NET Conf, every single hmm. year. Just you would think I would catch on to that pattern, but I did say November. Come on, give me some props. I got that much right. You did great. Uh, but I do know we are celebrating 20th anniversary .NET in February, so there must be some kind of February re- release schedule the PMs obey also. And so you're saying they just... You know what? Out with the old, in with the new. I say .NET 6. .NET didn't even know you. Uh, I'm onto the .NET 7 train. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm still upgrading my code to .NET 6. It's still going to take me years to get to .NET 6. But uh, I'm excited for the 7. It's a good word, George Costanza. Well, the great part about .NET 6 is that it's a LTS long-term support. So once you're on that puppy, Frank, you'll be on that puppy for years upon years. And (laughs) .NET 7 is a current release. Now, in case anyone is new to what that means, it took me a while and talking to Kathleen Dollard to understand LTS versus current. Now, actually, it is very much no big difference at all. As far as like a quality perspective, there is no difference. It's just a new version and it's at Mm -hmm. the same quality bar every single year of a release. The difference is the official support policy. So if you call up, you get on your you get on your rotary phone, you call one eight hundred Microsoft. I don't know if that's a real number. Don't do that. I do this all the time. But tell me what I should do this time. You you pull out the rotary phone. You say one, and you go, ding, 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 and it rings. You call up the Microsoft, and you say, "Hey, Microsoft, I have a problem with the .dot nets." Mm. And then they will say, "Well, what what version do you have?" And you say, "Well, .dot net, whatever." And then that is adjusting for the official support policy of when you're going to get security patches, official stuff, and sort of be forced to Hmm. update. But the idea is that you move along with the versions of .NET uh, as there should be very minimal breaking changes, ideally. (laughs) Ideally. Um, It's funny because you just took that from a different perspective than I was expecting. Mm. Uh, when When we were talking about like, the you know the endless cascade of versions <laughs> i was thinking well what is my actual minimum version of dot net and i was thinking well it's you know whatever you, the cloud supports so it's whatever azure supports or whatever is easy to deploy and then i was thinking sorry my mind was wandering during your beautiful rant there that um i've been playing with self-contained apps on dot net lately do i talk mm-hmm. about this sh- on the show enough i don't think so I'm just, I, I want to tell everyone how I have wanted this my whole life. I hate dependencies. Okay. Mm. I, back in the day was like, I used to love visual basic, but you could never release a visual basic app because people were like, well, I don't have that version of VB and you have to write an installer and the installer has to do a thing and blah, blah, blah. And so what I was thinking was like, from now on any, definitely any web app I write and definitely console apps. Any oh, okay, every app. I'm doing self-contained because it's super cool. You can do like .NET publish, dash dash self-contained, and then there's a million other little arguments that you can put into your project file. And literally, a single file pops out containing all the .NET runtime, all of your code, all your resources. I don't know if you have external file dependencies. Maybe you have to deal with that kind of stuff. But it's there's nothing to install your app is your app it's a single Mm. executable and i forget the size of it it's big but who cares it's like 30 megabytes it'll compress fine and 
I mean, we've been doing that on iOS forever, but I love that that's a feature on desktops now too. So it doesn't matter what runtime, what server is running. You package that thing up into a binary, you throw it in a Docker file and you throw that up on the cloud and you're good to go. Yeah, no, I think that, you know, at the, at the .NET 20th anniversary, they were talking about .NET 7, how that is a major focus of even furthering the containerization uh, of applications, not only just for microservices, but for all applications. Um, and then I think that they were saying, some, they said more investment in WASM and WASI. Do you know what a WASI is? Uh-oh. Are, are we out of my league? I don't know what a WASI is. Um, is it like a WASM version 2 thing? Are they improving upon WASM? Uh, what it, well, what does the M stand for in WASM? Oh, no. I always assumed it just meant WebAssembly. And so that it's just, you know, ASM is assembly, but am I wrong? It better not be an acronym. I just thought it meant web assembly. I don't know. I don't know, Frank. I um, thought it was just a shortening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anyway, no. so they're going to support some technology none of us have heard of. Also, in, in that same news headline is HTTP2 and HTTP3. <laughs> There's like 10 servers out there actually running them. But, you know, one of these days, I'll be one of them. Yeah. Now, we are recording this um, this podcast before it actually comes out. <laughs> but wow. you can actually go to themesof.net. Do you know about this? Themesof.net? There are too many clever .NET URL websites. We need a clever .NET URL website website to track all these clever URLs. Uh, um, no, sorry, James. I do not know themes of .NET. This is, this is a, a Blazor site. Okay. And uh, you can go to Roadmap or you can go to Query. This is cool. I'll put it in the show notes. And what's really cool is you can you can actually look to see what's on the roadmap for .NET 8. Now, there's currently nothing. So Oh, whew. this is like a program manager thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is almost like Gantt chart level here. It's not quite that bad, everyone. It's, it's almost readable. I had to, of course, go straight to the machine learning part to see what's coming up here a lot of stuff about ci cd i I wouldn't bother with that that's terrible yeah so you can really dive through this and you can look at like application models so like here's uh you know asp.net core you can click on it it goes to um to the github and you know there's minimal api enhancements signal our redis improvements there's all these things and there's statuses and so if you don't know this it's pretty cool uh i think emo may have worked built it still maintaining it i'm not really 100 <laughs> sure but you can tell it's very like pme driven but it's all in the open like that's yeah. kind of unbelievably cool well what's nice is it's actually tied to github what i was worried about was this was just going to be a pm cesspool of gantt charts I, i'm sorry i keep saying those things they're fine they're fine everyone um but you get that disconnect between what's actually happening and what people are planning and that disconnect happens inside built, uh, companies. I didn't want to see that on the internet at large. But anyway, all that's to say, these are actually issues on GitHub. And so you can actually track these in a reasonable way. Uh, this is kind of fun. Uh, good site. Can you run themes of .NET for your own projects? That is a great question. I, there's a source. Um, it's actually it's in Emo's repo, so I'm assuming yes. Um, I don't know how it all works. It's magic. But if you do type in to .NET 7 and WASM, there is a 
runtime that says expand.NET WebAssembly capabilities. It says developers can AOT compile .NET apps into WebAssembly formats. There's all these things underneath it um, that I, mean shenanigans to me. I don't really know. We're going to have to do an episode on this because I, I want to check back because people are doing some amazing work with this WebAssembly AOT stuff. So we've been doing AOT on iOS forever. And I think like the minimum app size, we got it down to like three and a half megabytes, something like that, four megabytes in the heyday. These days, I think it's actually a little bit larger. But um and Blazor, let's go with the Blazor WebAssembly, I think was more around five megabytes. But I've seen these AOT people th- throw all those libraries away. Okay, no libraries. We're doing just pure C sharp, pure IL here. Uh, I've seen people get these libraries down to like 32 kilobytes and 64 kilobytes. And so I'm really excited to see... Um, what we can do in that space between 64 kilobytes and five megabytes. Cause I think that's a sweet spot for an app. I mean, given that half the images you download on the internet are already five megabytes. Um, I think with AOT, it's going to be wonderful to get app size down. Yeah. So anyways, I thought this was cool. You can go check it out um, in general, but I have no idea what all the new features are, but I do know Frank that there's a new version of C sharp, C sharp 11. Do you know about this? Oh my gosh, I'm just learning C Sharp 10, dude. Do you know that pattern matching stuff is really complicated and it can do really weird stuff? Have you learned all C Sharp? No, I didn't know there was a C Sharp 11. I am so behind on the times. Is is there a blog post or something I should be reading? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think okay. probably, you know, soon. <laughs> just just some talk, some talk on the streets about the C Sharp 11. I think around that the there corner. was because everything's in the open people people like put um these blog posts out around christmas that was like leak c sharp 11 features and then they're like here's all the open source yeah stuff or whatever yeah Yeah. you know i always act like all this stuff is a surprise but i could spend all day just reading the roslyn repo you know on github it's fascinating i love that stuff i have to work hard to not do that <laughs> i could spend all day just following along there and reading all the proposals and everything so it is actually important for blog posts like this to distill it down because and one thing to really keep in mind here is when this is not released things really change there are still features that people thought were going to be in c sharp 8 that still haven't made it to c sharp 10 but you know we we're all talking about them in c sharp 8 time anyway all that's to say is i'm super excited i love programming languages dude i mean I just, it's my hobby. I like them. I do like them. And there is a new feature that I can at least talk about, which is the bang, bang operator. Oh, yeah, yes. Oh, yeah. This this has created a stir on Twitter. Are we going to stir the hornet's nest, James? Are we? Well, we'll see if we merge or if we conflict on this Uh one. So Mm. uh, do we have to have an opinion? We have it's it's a brand new feature. Should Who's going to describe the feature? Because the first person to describe the feature is going to set the tone of this discussion. <laughs> well, let's talk about the problem first that it's trying to solve. Mm, sure. Okay. Um, I, I can cover that. Okay. Uh, so in C Sharp, we've had nulls around for a while. People really hate the null reference exception. We hate it. It's the worst. And so we want to catch our nulls as soon as possible. And so forever, since time immortal for the last 20 years, any public function on a public class that's that's my own bar that's the bar i use uh will null check its arguments 
with the assumption that lower down in the code, hopefully you're doing your null checking, especially these days with null reference checking, it's all good. But basically, uh, public stuff, you do the argument just so that you don't get a null reference exception deep down in your code, you catch it as early as possible. Yeah, That's that makes it. sense. I yeah. mean, it's a good practice. I don't do it. Um, no. You know, the nice thing about exceptions is that they're safe, or at least you should be designing your code. So your code is exception safe. And so all we're really talking about is how early is an error caught versus how mm. late and how yep. dangerous. So if, if, if it's very dangerous code, if you're doing, if, you know, launching rockets or something deep down in that code, then you should probably do your null checking early as possible. Yeah. But yeah. Um, all my libraries don't do it because honestly, it's a pain in the butt to type. And sometimes I pass in like 30 arguments. I'm not going to null check all those. That's insane. Yeah. Well, I like the null reference checking because uh, the yeah. compiler is just like, you're good, buddy. You, you, good job. Good job, Frank. Yeah. You know, I think often in my code, what I'm doing is I'm like, if I'm building an app and I'm normally seeing if I'm in my app code, I'm normally seeing like, did something pass me null? And if they did, then don't do anything. Like don't throw an exception to my app. That's going to crash it. Yeah. However, if I am a library creator, I think that this is much more impactful because you often build libraries to be guarded against um, these errors in general, right? So you... De sorry, defensive programming, they used to call it. I don't think people use that terminology anymore, but it was very important. Check all your arguments, defensive and I th programming. I think it's good because you, didn't we talk about Swift guarding, the Swift guard mm -hmm. pattern? Yeah, yeah. And it's used 99% of the time for null checks. <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it, it has a full pattern matching system, just like C Sharp. It's probably a better pattern matching system than C Sharp. But everyone just uses it for null because ugh, null, you know, so uh, definitely. And I've, I was into other C Sharp because it was such a clean language, especially in the early days, it was such a simple language. People liked building dialects of it. And there used to be a version of C Sharp called like um, Spec Sharp or mm. C Flat. I don't know. I had, they, they went through a few cute names over at Microsoft Research. And what they did was put in what's formally called a dependent type system. And you could put in a full full set of checks into all your arguments and they actually changed the syntax of the language to add a lot of features in fact they did one version where they changed the syntax and another version where they didn't change the syntax some of that stuff actually made it into the standard library but it's all in this goal of um we understand that getting a function to work with good inputs is hard so let's not try to even pretend that that function works with bad inputs. So catch mm -hmm. all the bad inputs early. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's sort of how I have written a lot of my libraries, right? You want to make sure that that, that good stuff is working its way down, but then you also want to tell the, the user that passed you that information that that's, hey, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not okay for you to pass me probably a null, but also it could be other things beyond well, null uh, in general. Yeah, and, and and there are philosophies here. So there is one philosophy, and it's usually c considered an internet protocols philosophy, but mm. you should be generous in what you receive, but strict in what you emit. So there, mm. it's a counter philosophy. Instead of being strict on what you receive and strict on what you emit, the idea is be flexible in what you receive. It's 
but it, it, it really is an attitude and it's harder. For example, that's kind of the attitude that Objective-C has. And so Objective-C has this nice way where null, null, my, my nemesis, can just kind of propagate through the system pretty safely, honestly, in Objective-C. The, design, the system is designed to constantly be null checking, you know, doing that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, but it's, it has cons. Um, when you're working with that kind of code, like on iOS, <laughs> and you have a system like C Sharp that's very strict, and it's talking to a very flexible system, then you constantly have to be doing error checking of the type that you and I have grown to love because yeah. null reference exceptions happen constantly with Apple APIs because those APIs were designed to just throw null around. It's true. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's null is that we literally did an entire ep episode about and we'll null do more. Is I pro yes. We will do more okay. because it's that important. <laughs> yeah. So. So this, I mean, I one, I gotta say, talking about open source themes of .NET, I want to see themes of C Sharp. By the way, mm. um, that could be a feature, a language thing. Maybe it's in there. Who knows? I gotta see. But there's these proposals. You can go to proposals on the C Sharp Lang GitHub under .NET, and sure enough, here's param null checking. This is called parameter null checking, and it's exclamation point, exclamation point, or as I like to say, bang bang, bang bang, uh, <laughs> bang bang, and that's what's called the bang bang, bang bang. So it could be now, chick chick. I've heard that it called chick too. I thought that the chicks were were uh, that. the hash sign, right? Uh, oh no, that's back tick. That's a tick. Back tick. That's tick tick. Tick. Yeah, tick. that's tick. That's tick tick. Yeah, um, chick yeah. chick is can be chick, exclamation chick. point. Anyway, I can see bang chick, bang chick. bang bang's funnier. Bang bang. Okay. Uh, it's okay. So are are you going to finally? Uh, we're we're twenty minutes in. We're going to finally state what this thing is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go for it. D dear listeners, it's a minor proposal. The idea is at the end of your parameter name, at the end of the name, not the type, at the end of the name, you put bang, bang, <laughs> or chick, chick, or not tick, tick. And that auto-generates, because it's a compiler, the compiler can do whatever it wants. At the very beginning of your function, it does that argument null check that we've all written eight bazillion times. And so it's just a tiny bit of syntactic sugar to add a piece of code that we all write a million times. I don't think anyone has any complaint with that at all. That is almost the definition of what a programming language is supposed to do. Encapsulate common patterns into syntax. That is what a programming language is. But I think people hate it because it's bang, bang, and it goes in a weird spot. And yeah, so how do you feel? Uh, well, so some, some individuals say that, well, why don't we just have attributes that we yeah. add on top of our thing? And I would say, well, what happens when you have like 10 parameters, you have like 10 attributes. I love attributes. No more than one attribute. Terrible. Yeah, exactly. Attributes are not attributes show a weakness in the programming language. Attributes are like syntax in the language waiting to become actual syntax. I, I see a lot of languages out there go attribute heavy and just like, oh, I get it. I, I, I like metaprogramming too, but you guys have really lost the key here. Like the point of a programming language is to be clear and readable and to understand what's going on. Anyway, I think I think attributes would be a 
terrible thing here. Uh, there even are systems. I believe there already is an attribute system in there from the spec sharp work. It used to be like in maybe system component model or, you know, one of those uh, type things yeah. where you could throw in all those attributes. And there used to be analysis tools that could do like theorem checking on all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think that, and there's tons of open source libraries as well that do all sorts of guarding and they do attributes. And that's the beautiful part of C sharp that you can create these attributes and do a bunch of work in there and generate code. And now you have source generators. So you can do a bunch more, but to me, uh, I like it. I think it's great, uh, in the instance where you need that, right? It's like, Hey, I need an argument, null exception. What I was going to do before is throw an argument null exception with the name, mm -hmm. and then that's it. So to me, it's a nice little helper that is that is on there that you can specify and really clean up your code to remove three lines of code. So before, so here's the other thing too, is in C sharp nine and, and below, you would do yeah. if x equals equals null, Throw is a new null. argument null exception. Is we don't do we don't do equals equals null anymore. Okay, so in C sharp, when was that introduced? Eight, six, whenever eight, is eight, eight or nine? I don't even eight remember. Or nine. <laughs> so before you used to say equals equals, then you could say is. That's the pattern matching. Mm -hmm. Also, there's this new thing called pattern pa pattern variables. You got to read the spec wide. This is amazing. So <laughs> I'm just in the specs proposals, and it's fantastic. It's Anyways, fun. so then in C sharp ten and .NET six, they introduced something on argument null exception, which was throw if null. So the writing was on the wall, which was they don't want you to check for null because the compiler can check for null better. We did an entire episode on it, Frank. We did an episode on it. Okay. So now, go ahead. We, we should be clear though what the difference is between these two features because they yes. are different. So null reference checking is a compile time feature. Yeah. It is an analyzing your code, looking at what you're doing with all your nulls and how you're mis misusing them. And it's yelling at you and being like, you're totally misusing your nulls here. Mm -hmm. It is a compile time thing. At runtime, it does absolutely nothing. It is a zero, it's zero overhead, <laughs> zero impact, because it is just a compile time feature that's just an error checker. It is not doing anything. It is not actually protecting your code in any way. If you have a public function and you access that public function from, say, like Visual Basic that just doesn't care and it's just like, I'm going to null, I'm going to send you nulls, I don't care what your annotations are, I'm going to send you a null anyway. Your code would not handle that perhaps in the way you're expecting because your null reference checking doesn't do any runtime checking. But the bang bang operator, bang bang, <laughs> throws an argument null exception at least. And yeah. that is the runtime check. and if someone misuses your library, you'll get that exception. Exactly. Yep. So to me, I, I think it's nice syntax. You know, I think that, you know, does the bang bang make sense? I don't know. But what else are you going to do? So, so I, I think I've seen, you know, I, I don't like it. I really don't. I here's the thing. I, I even tweeted this. I don't like it, but I'm going to use it. I'm going to use yeah. it a lot. I'm going to put everywhere. Every function I have is going bang, bang. And I'm going to be happy. I'm going to bang, bang. Um, so I almost, oh, geez, do I like it now just for that? Um, I've totally lost my train of thought because now I'm just excited to start putting bang, bangs everywhere in my code. Hmm. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's I don't know. It's nice. I think that it's well thought out when you look at the specification. It talks about all the different use cases inside of lambdas, inside of you know, all, you know, all these different things. Um, yeah. And you can extend it. You can do all these different things. Well, it's, it's quite cool. It's the extension part I'm a little bit curious about because null checking is obviously the most important one, but there are other ones out there. Uh, range checking is a very common one. So if you have a function where you receive an array and maybe an index variable, you would, in such a function, you have to do a million little range checks at the top of your function to make sure everything's going to behave itself when it's supposed to operate. Of course, again, these are safe languages. You don't have to do that. You're just... Yeah giving better error messages to uh, the receiver. And so there is a question of, will this syntax, this idea of putting funny characters at the end of parameter names, can that do other things? Could we put a less than sign there and a number, a greater sign number there and a number? Mm -hmm. And so what I'm curious about is if we'll ever get that kind of stuff or if it's always just going to be bang, bang. Yeah, like a like a bang less than three. You don't even need the bang. Like the bang makes sense because bang means something in um in the null reference checking. True. Bang means uh I know what I'm doing, compiler. You're dumb. I don't trust you. I know what I'm doing. Hashtag I know what I'm doing. But again, it's not a runtime check. It's just telling the compiler to go away. So bang bang is kind of the equivalent of it is just saying I need a runtime check here, but it really should not be null. Yeah, I, I, that is that's a good point. I, I like I like the idea of it is you're sort of defining you're defining when you define your method inside the parameter list, you are defining what is valid for your inputs. Yeah. So you yeah. don't have to write a bunch of code down the line. And it's very clear even that's also, you know, the cool part could be IntelliSense at the same time, right? Because the IntelliSense that is is giving you, let's say this went further, right? So it's not just param null checking, but it was param everything. Imagine that down the road, and we're not saying this is happening, I have no insider knowledge, but to what Frank just said, if you could check against three or this or that, the IntelliSense in Visual Studio or VS Code or, or Rider, it could tell you like what the valid things are when you're reading the method. And then the compiler and the IntelliSense could like be super smart and like tell you when you're doing things wrong and when you're going to throw an exception and whatnot. I think that's almost the the nicer part of it is, is sure if you have nullable on, if you allow null or not, sure as well. But I think that this is like an extra step that can even probably help down the road of I'm looking at the method and I can clearly read some of the inputs and outputs and, and maybe mm-hmm. not for every single type um, that you want to go in there and get crazy with it. But yeah. I, I don't know. I, 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 I like some, like, I like some of the things that Kotlin and Swift do that sort of make it shorter and compactor. So people coming into the language are like, oh, okay. Like I get it. Like this thing's valid or invalid things are this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's, that's kind of nice. So I think, yeah. Um, oh boy. Sorry. I just had a whole bunch of thoughts all, all at once. I think that it, it could maybe be a little bit overused. I hope we don't get into a situation where everyone's like bang, bang, every reference parameter mm. on every function, because yeah. it's certainly not needed. There's a reason I said public functions earlier, because you should be doing your checks early on. And then once you get into the private or internal stuff, you know, you should be relying on um, null reference checking. Let the compiler figure that stuff out for you. Yeah. So I hope we don't see that. And 
even though I was talking about um, it, the, the formal name of what I was talking about is uh, dependent typing, and there are whole programming languages out there that do it. And although I like to talk about it just because that state of the art does exist, truth of the matter is I don't write that many argument range checking things. I, maybe I'm a bad library developer, but I trust that the language is pretty safe. So I don't go insane with my argument checking in the beginning. So although I would like to see all those other features, just putting this null check on here is honestly fixing 95% of the trouble. Yeah, to me, it's like if I if I have that code or if I was going to throw a null exception, then I would do that else. I wouldn't write that code. And I agree with you, right? I think that this is a feature that, you know, doesn't probably need to be utilized all the time because you either need to check the nullable stuff or this. It's only like when you need to throw an exception, then you would do this, right? And <laughs> I think that that's the key takeaway that I have is like, yeah, you know, there's people that have this code written all over the place, especially library creators. And this is going to tighten up that code, in my personal opinion. Yeah, I'll be blunt. Like, I just don't do it. And now I will. Because yeah. if it's just two characters away, like, why not? <laughs> and <laughs> it's not going to affect performance that much if anyone's freaking out. One one null check at the beginning of your function is not going to break the performance of your app. It just won't. Yeah. It better not. Then you have other issues. <laughs> That's it. it. So, so we love C Sharp 11. We love .NET 7. Are we just bandwagon people? I'm, I'm afraid. I, it, it, truth is, you're not going to stop this train, so you might as well enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. Um, I, I hope this feature makes it. I know it was controversial on the tweeters and everything, mm -hmm. but I think you and I are somewhat merging on this and not conflicting and agreeing that we both kind of are okay with it. Here's the other great point. Every single feature, you don't have to use it. It's totally cool. I'm just worried about it's going to make other people's. I'm honestly worried about like every parameter getting bang bang. <laughs> Don't do it, people. Not every parameter, please. That's correct. Not every parameter, not all the time. But yeah, I think it is up my alley. My mouse is dying, so I'm plugging in my <laughs> mouse right here. Um, but I'm for it. I'm for new features all the time. Um, and the cool thing is, you know, these things have been discussed in the in the wild. So let, let your voice hear. I'm going to link to all of the the issues and all the things as well. But um, as we move forward, new versions of .NET, new things happening all the time. Man, I love the .NET website. It just looks so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which one are you you're talking about? The .NET? Which one are you talking dot about? .NET. Dot yeah. .NET. Dot .NET. Dot .NET. So purpley. I, I don't know how many dots I actually say in that. I just like say as many dots as I feel dot like. Dot dot dot. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good looking site. Yeah. Go good check colors. it out. Beautiful. I love it. Go go watch the, the stuff. Go get some swag. I uh, They have some really high res, super high res wallpapers. And since I have an ultra wide, I was able to open it and like make oh. it the perfect proportion. Oh, look at you. Okay. For my 4K. So <laughs> 2.5K, 5.3K, my 3K monitor. So, <laughs> Well, I'll look at a semi cropped version at 4x3 or whatever this monitor is. I have no idea. <laughs> You can get crop it, open it in the, uh, in the thing, and then do the crop. Kidding. It's going to render beautifully. Okay, good. All right, everyone. So that is going to do it for this week's podcast. Do not forget that we have all sorts of goodies over at mergeconflict.fm. There's a contact button. You can totally contact and totally email us and send us your show ideas. You can look at all the other podcasts episodes that we've recorded. You can subscribe to this podcast. You can send the URL to a friend and say, this is a great podcast. That'd be super rad. 
There's a Discord that we're barely ever in, but totally or totally there. And we love everyone that's hanging out on there, having discussion. But more importantly, we have a Patreon, a Patreon. We put out an exclusive behind the scenes episode every single week, just about 99% of the time. In fact, we just released one last week all about my developer certificate issues. And that's a super fun one. If you want to become a Patreon member and help the podcast survive and thrive, go to mergeconflict.fm and hit that button. You also get access to the sweet Discord and behind the scenes Patreon exclusive zone where you get notified whenever we put out stuff. But that is going to do it for this week's Merge Conflict. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.